What's going on, listeners? Welcome to another edition of Matt Goes to the Movies and the last segment for the top 100 video games. It has come a lot quicker than I thought it would in terms of being over. It's almost bittersweet right now having this, uh, you know, this recording and, and talking about our top 15 video games and the usual suspects are back. We've got Harrison, Rob, Brandon, guys, all of you, uh, welcome back for something that, again, it's like, oh man, I, I can't believe this is already over. I'm surprised as well. I, I would did not expect to enjoy this this much, and I'm sad that this is the last one. But I'm also extremely anxious to hear what uh, your guys' favorites are. Super excited to do this again. Um, I had said on the third edition of the show that the, the next series of games will definitely be a really good snapshot of why I, I love games. Um, and I definitely think that my list represents a lot of the titles that make me love gaming and, and why I enjoy it so much of all the things that I can do with my spare time, the little bit of it that I have. Now we start looking at the top 15 and video games have taken a lot of crap over the years from people who just don't get it, don't understand it, don't think it's worthwhile, don't think that it's truly uh, an entertainment medium that people should pay attention to or should regard seriously. And as I look at my top 15, um, I find plenty of challenges to anybody who says that interactive storytelling cannot hold up to some of the best in filmmaking and the best in television and the best of literature in terms of being able to tell a compelling narrative that captivates the, the person who's participating with it um, and, and gives them something to think about for a long period of time. I've definitely got entries in this top 15 um, that I would hold up there with, with anything that, that uh, the best of movies, the best of, of fiction and the best of TV. Oh yeah, one like especially one through four, like I have like the diff the gap between like four and five is actually like pretty big for me, because one through four are like pretty big for like my life and basically what I like through gaming as a whole for me is what it one through four represents. Yeah, I think similar to mine, like my like looking at my one through four and even my fifth one, because it's it's a rare game for me to actually have played and beat uh, my one through five are really like that, where it's just like, yeah, like this is gaming. This is, you know, things that I probably will remember for until I can't uh, like when my memory escapes me, I remember like the feelings that I have for some of these games and like what was going on. So uh, listeners, you know, we've got one through 15. We're going to take take the same, uh, you know, segments and go, you know, five games at a time. And with that being said, because I think we'll probably have a lot to say about these. Rob, you're going to start the field here with 15 through, uh, you know, 15 through so go ahead with your first five yeah so through most of this list i've you know the game could probably slide four or five places up or down and and still feel right i actually feel pretty solid about my top 10 and 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 pretty good about top 15 overall so i'm going to start 15 with halo 3 um it was really tough to follow up halo 2 halo 3 did a lot of great the story gets a little weird um but the amount of time I spent online with this, um, 
playing either cooperatively or competitively put a lot of time into this game. And I, I really think they did a great job with, with the multiplayer. It's probably some of the most fun I've had with online multiplayer. I want to talk a lot about this next entry, number 14 for me, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. And I really also feel it's important for me, at least to include the DLC Freedom Cry. Black Flag took what was a lot of fun in in uh, Assassin's Creed 3 and and they opened up a lot more it's the first time we really spent a lot of time on the boat and the boat mechanics the sailing mechanics the pirate mechanics were really really well done I I actually felt a sense of accomplishment when I was able to take out some of the like the big ships that were the ship to ship battles that were kind of in the corners of the map. I mean, that those were there was a good reward. And, you know, the I just felt like I, the controls were really, really solid and, and rewarding. Um, it told kind of an interesting story, not somebody who fell into assassin life on purpose, um, kind of fell into it by mistake. And uh, told a connected story, which I really liked that for s- several of these games right around this period of time, I just really enjoy Assassin's Creed up and down, uh, but they really did connect the story in ways that uh, later games do not. Uh, quick plug, there is a um, a novelization of the third game um, that instead of just basically telling the story of the game, which too many of these things actually do, um, it actually gives a much, much different look it actually shows um a, a lot of things it shows Haytham growing up so it kind of bridges the gap between three and four um kind of showing edward at the end of his life it's it's really interesting i really enjoyed it um a lot of fun it, it's definitely it gets towards the top of everybody's favorite assassin's creed games but i really want to talk specifically about freedom cry now i had started off by saying that these games can really push people's concept of interactive narration and what what you can accomplish with it. So Freedom Cry focuses on Adewale, who is Edward Kenway's um, first mate throughout um, most of the game. Mm-hmm. And it focuses on a period of time where he uh, splits off on his own and he's walking around. I want to say it's the island of Haiti. Uh, it's, is, am I right on that, guys? Correct me if I miss that. It's, it's, it's the island of Haiti that he's on, isn't it? Uh, from what I remember, you are correct. And there's a moment in this that, you know, Matt, you said it phenomenally. There's some of these games in your top 15, top 10 are going to, are going to, you're going to remember them until you don't have the ability to remember things anymore. Um, and this is definitely one of those moments for me. I can remember vividly just walking around as you do in most open world games. You're just kind of walking around, checking things out and, and they fill this world. There's shopkeepers, there's kids chasing after dogs, there's chickens, there's, there's all kinds of things The the world feels alive. There's things happening. And as I'm walking through, um, I walk past a slave auction happening right at that moment. And, and I stopped as my character and just kind of like paid attention to what the game was presenting to me. With and vivid spoke, dialogue. Vivid dialogue, yes. Um, and it was like one of those like, like needle drag across the record moments for me where it was like, oh, oh my God. Like, I, 
I, of course, know that the institution of slavery existed for a very long time, and it's a black stain on Western culture and, and human civilization as a whole. Like, and sadly, it's still going on in the world. Like, I, I get those things, and it's not that I didn't understand that they happened or understand what they were. I've seen that. I've seen it in movies. I've seen it. You know, we've seen all this kind of stuff. We're aware of it, but there was something about having it happen in interactive narration that made it different for me, that made it resonate very differently. And it was so not like a big deal for these characters that this was happening. This was an accepted part of their life. And I'm sitting there just watching it. And it was, it really, really struck a note with me. Like, oh my God, um, is this really how it was? Is this really what happened? And and you can just choose to walk away if you want. You choose, You can choose to do a lot of things at that moment if you want, but I just had to watch it because it it was like, holy cow. Um, So that's one of those things, like I said, it's always going to resonate with me. Um, And it it was like a a, a wow moment Um, in a way that reading about it in a book, watching it on a movie where the camera focuses, where the director and the editor decide to show it. um, I was in control of this. I could watch as much of it as I wanted. If it made me uncomfortable, I could walk away. Or if it made me uncomfortable, I could watch more. Um, Really hit me. Uh, I I just really loved that moment of the game. But as a whole, both the uh, full game and the DLC were just really a lot of fun, well executed. Hey, uh, Rob, sorry, quick question with that. Uh, Wasn't, and maybe Harrison, you would know too, wasn't there another game... uh, for the originally it was only for the PSP and then it did get ported over. Um, that was in that same, uh, like timeline as well. Yeah. So there was a game called Assassin's Creed, uh, liberation. I think it yes. came out originally for, it wasn't PSP. It was Vita. There was oh, an Assassin's okay. Creed on PSP called bloodlines and it was terrible. And it like is largely forgotten about. Um, but okay, there was the Vita. a PS Vita. Yeah. There was a Vita game. Eventually they brought it to, the other systems, uh, they called it like an HD remaster, and it followed um, a female assassin. Um, and she was interesting. Like, the story was interesting. It takes place uh, primarily in the bayou, and it plays a lot like um, Assassin's Creed 3 in terms of just, like, the mechanics and the animation is pretty much just a, a copy of that. Um, but they introduced, like, the touchscreen mechanics that nobody asked for and nobody wanted <laughs> and were really awful. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I, I just... I was really struck by that. Uh, so um, going to 13 for me is Gears of War 4. Um, the The series just can really continue to get better, I think, as it went on. Um, I just enjoy those characters and their interactions with one another. Uh, number 12, Uncharted 4, a game that I'm shocked I had as low as I did. Um, if you like Uncharted, this game is everything you're looking for. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It, Nathan Drake is put in situations that you can't even possibly imagine how he gets out, and he doesn't even understand how he gets out, and that's the charm of the series. Um, and it's a continuation of the relationships we've seen, and, and I, I love that whole series. I will play every single one if they decide to release more. Number 11, I, another game I can't believe is, lo- is ranked as low as it is. Elder Scrolls Oblivion. I put so much time into this game. was one of the first Xbox 360 games I owned. Uh, I can remember walking into into my friendly neighborhood GameStop, and I was you know friends with all of those guys. And I said, 
you know what I'm really in the mood for is I want an RPG that's like so hard and complicated that you, if you don't buy the strategy guide, like you're just lost. And they said, here, this is Oblivion. Here's your strategy guide. Thank me later. And it took me a little bit of time to get into, but once I did, um, you know, basically once you get out of that prison um, and you can just start wandering around, you're kind of lost for a little bit until you find your way. And I think a lot of open world games are like that. So you really get your footing, but man, Oblivion was for that generation of games was the first one that showed me this is what's possible now with this next generation of technology between the graphics and just the capability of it, the ability to tell a story, the ability to let you just have free reign to do whatever you wanted. Um, Skyrim is certainly remembered by most as the best of the series, but there's some things about Oblivion that were way better. Things like being able to craft your own spells, enchant your objects. Mm-hmm. There was just so many, there were, there were actually a lot of things about Oblivion that I liked better uh, than what we got in Skyrim later. Uh, but Oblivion is one of those ones that, wow, for the for the period of time, um, and just, the again, the world building, people had a schedule. You know, people worked jobs. They they hung out in bars. Like, you could follow them around if you really wanted to. Um, it's a game you could easily lose yourself in. So uh, that rounds out my first five. That uh, That strategy guide for Oblivion was huge. And that actually, Oblivion was a game that I played and I got stuck in a dungeon where I was just like caught in a glitch where my save file was all screwed up. Um, Mm. And I remember not wanting to start the game. So I had put like 60 hours into the game, got this glitch, and actually was so pissed that I went and traded it in. And then like three years later, I finally bought it when it was part of like a four for 20 or something package. And then finally actually played through it was like, I should have kept this game. What an idiot. (laughs) Um, Oblivion was really good. And I might, I might say that I, I know I put Skyrim on this list and not Oblivion, but like now thinking about it, I think I might've actually liked the story more in Oblivion than Skyrim. Lots to like about Oblivion for sure. But uh, Brandon, you're up next. All right, so number 15, I have Mass Effect 1. I still need to play 2 and 3, but I fell in love pretty fast with the first Mass Effect. Dad, you know like just what I'm talking about, too, because I got on it and then played for a little bit. I was like, wait, this is like this much in a game like this old? Like the wheel and everything, apparently. I was like, your choices, all of these matter? You mean like this giant spider that I saved will help in another game? Like that's unheard of nowadays. And this was like 2007. But it's like the story, the major like plot twist in the middle of it is done super well. Hell, it's just something to fall in love with. Number 14, I have Devil May Cry 5. This game, probably on my list above, there's only really one on my list later that could really combat this game in its gameplay like it is so much fun especially with the virgil like dlc oh my god it is nuts and even like the base game the story is such a fitting conclusion for devil may cry now obviously they're gonna keep on within a couple years but just the final boss first of all difficult and two just so much fun Number 13, I have Demon Souls for the PS5. 
after probably spending what like a week on that first first level that I was stuck on <laughs> yep I, I was getting so mad because i was just dying on the first level and i finally get to the boss room and i it probably clicked there on what makes these games great and it's just like the learning process of it because that first boss is all about what you pick up on that stage and like the lessons you learn from fighting those enemies earlier in the level and then it just led me down to play dark souls one three sekiro bloodborne and now i'm like 25 hours in on elden ring number 12 i have kingdom hearts 3 and like a year ago i probably would not even had this on this list i don't know what it was it probably was just my initial like reaction to the game because like this because i've been playing kingdom hearts since i was like seven and like it was a very very long wait for this game so expectations obviously went high on my replay i really like remembered why i like love this and the series it still has its problems i think the first half is not the greatest but it really picks up at a certain point uh, number 11 i have dark souls 1 now outside of my top five this is probably the one that you could be like this is like you could make the case for this being the greatest game of all time I could probably go on a whole podcast alone on how like how much of a masterpiece this game truly is. Just the world, like the story, the characters, it's how they make you feel bad for the final boss. Like even after like all that's happened to the world, it's done so like so so well. Harrison, you're you're up. Okay. So f- 15 through 11 correct correct okay hold on there's a spider right at my feet and there's there's a like, spider at my feet and no joke i like looked down from what i was doing to grab my list and there's like right in between my two feet I'm sitting on the couch. There's just a spider staring at me. So you were okay. about to anyway. be Peter Parker right on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, looking at my list here, my, I mean like my top 15, not just what the five I'm about to go over and hearing yours, it makes me realize like how much I missed in gaming. I, I talked about this earlier, but I just got to say this before I start my list at all. There were so many games that you guys mentioned that like I remember reading about in Game Informer, like I've mentioned multiple times, or having friends talk about, but, like, I just never owned. Like, for whatever reason, I didn't own a system or whatever, whatever. And I look at my list, I'm like, why are these games so high for me? Because they're not, like, as significant. Like, I would by no means be able to say that any of these games are a great example of storytelling through the format of video games or gaming. But they are significant to the reason why I continue to enjoy games. And I think that's just because of, like, the most of the time I spend gaming was sitting next to my brother on the couch. Um, and there's not a lot of great games that uh, you can play co-op that have a great story. So anyway, on to my list. Um, number 15 is Pokemon Leaf Green on the Game Boy Advance. Oh my gosh, that was the first Pokemon game I ever played. And I will never forget it. 
I was gifted leaf green. My brother was gifted fire red. And uh, that is where my love for Pokemon and the Pokemon games started. Um, I had some Pokemon cards before that, but I always thought they were weird. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I love that game. My brother and I, um, you could connect with a cable, your two Game Boys, and then you could duel each other. And I remember always trying to figure out better ways to beat my brother and him trying to beat me. It was a blast. Love, love that. Also, we would consistently, I don't know if anyone else did this, um, but we had both beat the game and then like, oh man, I, I, let's play the game again. And so we reset our files. But what we did is I like, I would start a game and I would select Bulbasaur and my brother would start a game and he would go trade. And so I'd give him Bulbasaur and then I'd start a game with Squirtle and I'd give him Squirtle and then so on and so forth so that we could have all three starter Pokemon. I remember that. Like when we figured out to do that, we felt like just like mega mind brain level. Anyway, um, <laughs> a 14 uh, Crash Nitro Kart on the PS2. One of my favorite racing games of all time. Mario Kart 8 made a big deal that it had like these zero G courses where your tires turn sideways. Man, Crash Nitro Kart was doing that way back on the PS2, so yeah. get in line, Nintendo. <laughs> uh, also, one of the few, like, kart racing games that had, like, a story mode. It had a campaign uh, with a legit story uh, that you would play through on single player that would allow you to unlock things. It wasn't just, like, you know, single player Grand Prix or whatever. Loved that game. Uh, also, a shield in a uh, kart racing game is underrated. I'm, I'm waiting for years for Mario Kart to get a shield. Okay, anyway. Um, 13, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like I mentioned, I bought a Wii U waiting for that game, and then it was delayed and delayed and delayed to the point where the Switch came out. Like, I remember when the Wii U was announced, they announced this game. That's how long I had to wait. Uh, and it was just like everything that I could have wanted from it. My expectations were really high. Um, it's not the highest, though, because I think that some parts of it are too big. Like, I almost wish I had a guide for it, like Rob talked about. Um, but, yeah, love Breath of the Wild. Uh, number 12, a game that probably nobody's heard of, Earth Defense Force Insect Armageddon. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a simple third-person shooter game co-op where insects that are ginormous have invaded Earth, and you got to kill them all. <laughs> my brother and I grinded that game for hours. It, it was sweet. Uh, different classes, different classes played differently. Um, you know, had different like sci-fi ca capacities. Um, Eleven Super Stardust HD, which was a PS3 um, digital only game. Uh, imagine like asteroids, but on a globe, uh, like a 3D globe, and it was sweet. I've spent hours on that game. It's one of those games that. The reason it's so high for me is just because of the amount of time I played it. If I was ever like, you know what, I want to play a game, but I don't want to put in a too much mental work. I just want to sit here and have fun. You know, let me start up Super Stardust. Love that game. It wasn't there, isn't there like an Earth Defense like 2049 game or something like that? Like, Oh, there's like a bajillion of them. This was just the particular one that we had. Uh, this is the only one I ever played, but... My, bro my brother and I are so sad. We never got to the point, if you, if you got to a high enough level, uh, you can unlock, like, weapons. So so you have to play the game on certain difficulties, and then when you beat a boss, a boss drops a weapon, and then you, you unlock that weapon, uh. and then you can buy it. And one of the le weapons you can buy is, like, um, what can I... What, what are, like, uh, like kind of like insect-repellent 
weapons, so to speak. Um, but, and we were so sad we never unlocked them because that game is ridiculously hard. It, just to briefly talk about it, you, you fight through like waves and waves and waves of just endless insects. And then these huge bosses come in and it's like probably like uh, the, through the entire waves, it's probably like a 60 minute level, so to speak. And there's no saves in between. So if you die on wave three, bummer. If you die at the last wave with the boss, well, start over. Like it, it was infuriatingly difficult. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so for me, starting off, uh, number 15 is the original Resident Evil. Uh, not talking about the director's cut, not talking about the, the remake or the remaster for uh, the GameCube, but the very first Resident Evil, the true starter point for me for what was considered a horror video game. Uh, I remember... Like, out of my friends, I was the first one to play it, and I went over to a buddy's house uh, having a birthday party, you know, when kids actually had parties and you had sleepovers and things like that, um, and, you know, it wasn't everybody on their phone just sitting there, like, not talking to each other, um, but that's what we did, like, that was his birthday party at my friend's house was he got resident evil and like a group of eight of us just took turns trying to play it. Um, just absolutely love that game. Love this series to like to this day. Um, but that was like such an achievement uh, for me to, to play that game and just really be just like enthralled with what would become the resident evil universe. Uh, based on that first game, so uh, fifteen for me is Resident Evil. Number, I'm four. just amazed that you uh, didn't like the director's cut better. That's, um, that's not a character for you. I mean, it, I know, right? <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, the director's cut is better. It's just that, like that first game, like was just so monumental to me that it places not in terms of gameplay that it was better, but just in terms of what it meant when it first came out. Uh, number 14 is the original halo combat evolved. Um, I mean, Rob, let's face it. If it wasn't for halo, would the Xbox even exist? It's, um, it's absolutely a fair question to ask. 100%. I, I just, what Halo meant to the Xbox that was struggling to find its place, um, I really think you can say without the first Halo game, who knows what Xbox would be uh, this day, because that game was such a monumental hit. You know, that music... Rob, I, t I told you, Brandon downloaded the multiplayer for Halo Infinite, and that main menu comes up, and that Halo theme hits, and I like I literally went on Best Buy to see if I could go spend 500 bucks just so I could buy Halo Infinite. Um, like, no care in the world was just like, yeah, I I'm going to go drop $600 after tax and buying Halo Infinite. Like, I don't care. Like, I sat there on that screen when I first, well, when I first, first turned it on. I heard the music. I went, oh, "This is gonna be something." So, uh, the first Halo for me is number fourteen. Uh, just what a crazy, like you know, what a crazy story. And then uh, the surprise of the flood out of nowhere in that game. 
just oh, so many fond memories of Halo. Uh, 13 is going to be what I consider the greatest wrestling game of all time. Uh, WWF No Mercy had a story mode with branching paths. You could play that so many different times, get different outcomes, uh, a pay-per-view mode, similar to what I said previously about a game called WCWers NWO World Tour. Uh, no mercy with their pay-per-view mode, and you had to, you were able to pick different belts, and uh, there was so much that you could do with this game. Um, I actually, with WCW, I had two notebooks. With WWF No Mercy, as a kid, I literally had four notebooks filled of things that I did with this wrestling game for years, because each character... You could edit them. You could change their outfits. So, like, as wrestling changed and characters got, like, different ring attire with different colors and things like that, like, I would literally go in and spend hours editing the game and, up, like, updating all of these characters and then doing matches. Um, just a game that I spent so much time with and, st- to me, is still the greatest wrestling game of all time that was on the 64 Um of all councils. Number 12, the first destiny, um, a game that Brandon, I mean, what we looked at my playtime and it's in the thousands. Yes. For how many, an absurd amount of hours are on, were put on that game. I was impressed. Like a game that I just played at nauseum, a game that got better over time with adding things. Um, I spent so much money uh, on the first destiny, you know, the game was 60 bucks. The first expansion was 34 95. I bought the collector's edition guide, which was like 50 bucks. Then there was another expansion that was 40. Then there was another expansion that was 40. Then there was another expansion that was 25. Um, and every time I said, I'm not going to buy this. And every time I spent my money (laughs) and bought those expansions. Um, but a game that I am still playing, uh, is destiny is approaching 10 years for its shelf life. Uh, now to destiny Two. uh, a game that I am still playing with the expansion, the witch queen. But if I had to pick a game that is probably like what I think about first destiny is probably number two um, in terms of like, okay, video games. What, like, what do you think of? There's two games that automatically come to mind. Destiny is probably the first one. There was a lot of problems with the first destiny. That's not why it's ranked higher than some other games, but a game that I just spent so much time with. And then capping off this list at number 11, uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Uh, I'm going with both editions. Uh, First came Marvel Ultimate Alliance, and then later they released a gold edition with four extra characters. Um, This was a game that I sunk hour after hour into because, Rob, you remember the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance, right? I've only actually played the third one that just released for Switch because this oh. was a, this was a while ago. But I played both of the X Men Legends game that are basically the same thing, and they're fantastic. So yeah, like this game, uh, it had Doctor Doom taking the power of Odin. 
uh, and basically, spoiler alert, taking over everything, like everything, to the point where the Watcher had to get involved. Uh, you actually had to go and fight Galactus in order to get like in order to get a device that would help you um, separate Doctor Doom from Odin's power. And for every character that you could get, each one of them had four different costumes. But you had to play them a certain amount of times and gain a certain amount of experience to unlock everything. I went through that game so many times playing as each character, unlocking all four outfits. Then when the Gold Edition came out, I did the same thing, putting more hours into it. And what was really cool is based on certain levels depending on what group you used and what characters for certain interactions, there was dialogue. So if you were Wolverine and you got to the level with Sabretooth, there was certain interaction. If you were Nightcrawler, there was certain interaction because you saw Mystique. There was Ghost Rider and Mephisto because he was in that game. There were so many little nuances in this game. Um, I just absolutely loved the first Marvel Ultimate Alliance and, and something that I just spent so much time in because it was it's a, a comic book fan's wet dream at the time with how much they put into that. Good stuff. I think that brings it to me to start with uh, number 10. Oh, my God. Oh, six. God, we're at the top 10. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> All right. So before I get to my 10th game, then there, I, I want to actually um, want to throw out some game consoles that to see if you guys even remember these, ever owned these, played these, or even just vaguely remember them. Uh, and there's a reason I'm doing this. Uh, Sega Dreamcast, we kind of remember those, right? Virtual Boy, I still own one of these. It's under my bed at my parents' house. Um, Crazy Taxi for the Dreamcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, Virtual Boy was was actually a really good console that just nobody really liked don't at me i i'm prepared to defend myself on this atari jaguar the n-gauge you guys remember the nokia n-gauge the phone that was like a music player i was working at gamestop what yeah uh look it up sometime it's lots of fun the philips cdi the neo geo the oya i think i'm pronouncing that right um you know the, the commodore 64 um Sega Saturn, Dreamcat, like there's the list goes on and on and on. Um, the reason, oh, Atari Lynx, you remember that? The Atari's handheld system, <laughs> yep. yeah. There's there's a reason that I'm mentioning, oh, yeah, TurboGrafx 16, remember that one? There's all of these consoles that released at one point or another, um, that we don't still have with us today. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and they died almost on the like immediately. Just died immediately. Oh yeah, so some of those were. Uh, I swear, not uh, that the the N gauge. I remember <laughs> that th- that thing was clearance. Uh, I swear, before we even had it, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think you had to like hold it like sideways to even make a phone call with it. Um, but there's, there's oh, a very yeah. specific reason. <laughs> Yeah, oh, there's a very specific reason I wanted to take a trip down uh, failed console memory lane, because when Microsoft announced they were getting into the home console market, I was very, very skeptical. I didn't believe they were in it to win it. 
I thought that uh, Sony and Nintendo had pretty much already carved up the landscape and there wasn't room for a third console to exist. And I, I actually don't think Dreamcast had completely died by this point either, if I'm, if I'm remembering that timeline correctly. I think it was still kind of floating around. Yeah, I wasn't really sure that Microsoft could be taken seriously in this space. I was wrong about that. I was spectacularly wrong about that. And the game that we might have to thank for it, Matt, you had you had kind of really talked about this when you mentioned Halo, uh, and that's my top. That's my tenth game is Halo. Um, it was a really fun story. Ended up having really deep lore, like really deep backstory, mm-hmm. um, a very compelling world. Uh, the Covenant ended up being a lot more interesting than we originally discovered. Without Halo, do we still have? Is Xbox still the powerhouse in game? Think about what Game Pass is and how that has changed the landscape of gaming forever. Does that exist without Halo being the system seller? without that being the reason to try this new green console with a giant, you know, hard disk drive that made the thing weigh 4,000 pounds with the giant Duke controller that everybody, you know, kind of hated. It was just way too big. Halo was the reason you did all this stuff. Um, I can remember a lot of, of hours spent in blood gulch, you know, trying to snipe each other and uh, run over each other with the warthog and things like that. I can remember, the incredible satisfaction that my brother Eric and I had when we beat the game on co-op under legendary mode. Um, So many things that were good about this are still present in Halo Infinite, which again is not on my list because I just, I haven't beat it yet. So I don't feel like I can properly rate it. Although it would absolutely make this list, I think from what I've seen so far. So uh, I could talk about Halo by itself for a very long time and they have a show coming out in like a month. I can't uh, wait. It's going to be awesome. It looks so yeah. good. It looks so good. By the way, Halo was the reason to get an Xbox if you were skeptical. I think Halo might be the reason to subscribe to Paramount Plus if you're skeptical. Yeah. Um, but the, we'll see. There were people that literally they bought an Xbox. And for the longest time, you bought an Xbox only for Halo. Like, that's how slim that video game library was for titles that people were like, oh, man, like, you should play this game. Like, no, it was like, no, you should buy an Xbox to play, like, to play Halo. That's it. Yep. It wasn't for Fusion Frenzy, I can tell you that. Which was still fun, but... It was fun. It It was fun. You know what? That was like a prototype kind of Rocket League, too. Yeah, it, it kind of was a little bit Smash Brothers-y too, yeah. in, in some ways. Yeah, they're not Smash Brothers. I'm sorry, Mario Party a little bit. It was a lot of mini games and stuff. Yeah. It, was, it was actually more fun than you remember. Right. Uh, all right. I could talk about Halo forever if I wasn't careful. Uh, number nine. I'm going old school again. Super Mario Brothers 3. Ooh. was the first, first game I can remember that cost 50 bucks to buy. Brand new. Yep. I still remember that very vividly. My grandma actually bought it for me. I didn't even know it was out yet, and she brought it for me. Um, again, when you're going back to those old old consoles, you had to for a game to really work well. It had to fo- it, it, they weren't really focused on story because you couldn't tell a story. You had to just focus on fun mechanics, and that is something that Nintendo has done over and over and over again. The game just is fun to play. Yeah. Uh, that's where they've been successful. That's why there's so many games 
from Nintendo uh, on this list, not just that are on their systems, but are actually created and published by them uh, on this list across all of our lists. Um, I like the new power-ups. They made, you know, the, the, the world that you could travel to felt like it was more than just, you know, beat this level, go to this level next. Um, it was really a lot of fun. And you can go back and you can play it still to this day. And it's still just as fun in 2022 as it was in 1990-whatever year it was when it came out. Maybe it was even still in the 80s. I don't even remember. Holy cow, I should have looked this up. All right, I'm going to move on to number eight. Um, a masterpiece of gaming. Um, still 100% holds up to this day. A phenomenal story. Another Square title. Chrono Trigger. If you know, you know. If you don't know... Um, you're about, I, you're about to actually, get checked. I, I, I kind of feel bad if you don't if you've not played Chrono Trigger um, I kind of feel bad for you now here's the thing I want to tell you is if you're used to modern RPGs there's some things about it that don't really hold up well because it's kind of tough to get around sometimes like you don't always know where you're going like we kind of gotten spoiled with like checkpoints and waypoints and you know like being able to follow a blue dot on a map to get you to where you're going. Like it's sometimes you don't always, especially when it's kind of opens up and you can kind of pick and choose where you want to go. That gets a little bit challenging, but in terms of characters that you really care about, um, there was like, I think 12 different endings to this game. Um, it introduced a lot of unique choice. Uh, it's the first game I can really remember choice being involved in. Um, and now it's a, a, major component of, of games, you know, certainly Mass Effect owes a lot to Chrono Trigger. Um, great music, by the way, like all time great music in this game. Um, you think about what you could accomplish on a 16 bit console with a Super Nintendo and still have a moving score and, and themes for each character that are iconic. And as soon as you hear the theme, you know, who's coming on to screen. Um, absolutely. Uh, a, tremendous game and an important piece of gaming history number seven nobody nobody said this yet so you guys have to have this on your list somewhere knights of the old republic the original one ah. number seven um give me hk47 calling people meat bags give me all of that give me give me the twist um i love kotor i will love kotor forever um the greatest Star Wars game ever. I will die on that hill. That is um, getting a remake remaster. Yep, I'm about to play that remake. A day one purchase. Oh yeah, and probably yeah. a day one purchase yeah. for me. And who's um, who's the studio that's doing it again? I know it's someone good. Yeah, right? like the studio that's doing it has like a proven track record of being like amazing. Because yeah, I remember like saying to you, like I think this is in good hands. So. But I mean, if you think of high points of Star Wars, there's I mean, nobody hates Star Wars like people who love Star Wars. We've talked about this. Um, There's a lot of high points and there's a lot of low points. Um, KOTOR represents some real, real high points uh, for for that world and for that universe. And it kind of surprises me that they've not really adapted it further. I know they did the old Republic for a while, you know, that was an open world, um, you know, MMORPG, if I got all the initials right. Um, but for whatever reason, even the sequel just never had the impact that this mm-hmm. one did. And they never really tried to make tie-in shows or films or really do much with 
with these characters. Although there's always rumors that they're going to do something based in this period of time. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I can talk about KOTOR for a really long time, but I'm going to move on to my number six, Halo 2. Um, the music is still there. The chant is still there. Uh, now you add online multiplayer, which the first one didn't have. Um, Halo 2 was a lot, a lot, a lot of my time um, online. It's the most. It's probably the game I played the most online. Um, I want to say this was the first game that I waited in line for a midnight release. And I'm fairly <laughs> certain that Halo 2 was the first game I can remember they offered a midnight release for. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember differently than I do, but I think that's accurate. And even though the Xbox 360 had been out for a period of time and this released on the original Xbox, it was probably the game I played most on my 360. Um, just as I'm remembering it, a lot of great, a lot of great memories. And I, I actually am very mystified that online multiplayer doesn't work the way Halo 2 does. And, and I'm going to explain it like this. As you leveled up, as you played more and won, your ranking would go up. So if you're playing Capture mm -hmm. the Flag, your ranking would be based on your Capture the Flag statistics. If you're playing just Deathmatch, it's going to be based on Deathmatch. So you're you're in a game that is where you should be. And that's one of the reasons I've just never had as much fun playing Call of Duty online because you know you kind of get thrown in with anybody and if you're just kind of trying to learn the maps everybody you're playing against already knows the maps better than you as soon as They've you spawn you're sniped <laughs> immediately <laughs> yep you're just still trying to get your bearings and it's just not any fun um with halo 2 they they matched you up with people pretty close to your level um big team battle was was a total blast um the the new modes that they had in, uh, introduced for their multiplayer um, so much fun, so many hours of that, so many just great memories with friends playing online. Um, I, I just pretty much love everything about Halo. So that's going to round out, uh, my 10 through six. I believe, was it Halo 2, dad, that you worked at GameStop for? Oh, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, so it's on your list. I knew you. Like he said, anyone else said any stories. I I knew you had one, <laughs> but right. I will yeah. save that. Yeah, <laughs> number ten. I have the original Mario Galaxy. Now, what put this above two? Believe it or not, for a mainline Mario Mario game, is its story, and it's like new characters that I brought to the table. Like, there's a reason why Lo Rosalina is like in every single. Like, it seems like every Nintendo thing she's in, she's in Mario Kart, she's in Smash, like every collaboration they get, it's like she's in there. It was just such a good, like, heartwarming story. That has a crazy ending. Like, you want to expect, like, a black hole universal reset at the end of the Mario game. I'm going to leave that there. Number nine, I have Dragon Ball Fighters, a list that Dad had pretty low, but that's comparison to. Him playing just single player and me like actually going to like tournaments for. Like the reason it's on this list is because of just like the community over the years. Like everyone will say there's nothing like good offline Dragon Ball. It's just a sight to see. It's amazing. 
Number eight is, if you don't count what's on number one, the most recent game to come out that's on this list, I have Metroid Dread. Now, if you want to talk about a game that put me on to a franchise, oh my goodness, Metroid Dread is good. It is, oh man, just going, like, even, like, the replayability is notch. They added a new dreadful mode, which dies in, you die in one hit. You wouldn't think that sounds as fun as it is, but, like, once you play through it, it's super good. They made Samus one of my favorite characters ever, and she only speaks once. But the way the line is delivered, it's so good with their theme just blasting in the background. Um, it's just nuts to think, like, I skipped over this franchise for so long. Number seven, Near Replicant. If you like stories and video games, pick up the Near games. Like, they are, it's confusing at first, but, like, once you get it, it just, it clicks. It is so good. The combat, the world, the setting, just the overall, like, just bombs of, like, different scenes. I remember Dad was watching the final boss. First of all, he's like, oh, my God, the music. And at a certain point, like, during the cutscene, I went, wait, this is what the final boss is? Like, it all just, like, kind of clicked at once. And it's just such a beautiful story that I don't think they handle, like, Revenge, I don't think games cover it as good as Near Replicant does. And number six, it's my favorite in this franchise. It's my favorite final boss ever. It's my favorite final boss theme ever. Kingdom Hearts 2. Now, this is a jump from the first game to... It wasn't the very second game, but from one to two, it is such a spike in, like in gameplay and everything and you have like different forms you have different reaction commands which just brings the combat to life even stuff like sort of sliding across everywhere from like ground air it was it's so smooth even today that only gets beat by kingdom hearts 3 combat and we even get like what is now hopefully they pick up on it soon the fight between Cloud and Sephiroth, which takes place after one of the hardest bosses ever in Kingdom Hearts 2, Sephiroth. I remember getting stomped by him for hours upon hours. And that was probably the first time I fought a boss, and like I want to go, Yes! I bet! <laughs> this is crazy. And that's all the way through 6. I just got to say, Brandon, I love that you're mentioning the music from games because Kingdom Hearts has phenomenal music. Oh, yeah. And so does just every Metroid game I play. Great music. I love Samus's theme. I'm jealous that there's a new Metroid game that I'm not playing because it sounds amazing. Her theme in Dread is so good, and it plays during when she talks, and it just makes the scene like 10 times better. Yeah, I'm jealous. You need to pick it up. I need to get a switch first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, I feel like listening to your guys' list, I feel like I'm like that friend that didn't go to the party just because, like, I had work or something, (laughs) and I'm just, like, sitting here listening to all the stories. (laughs) Uh, So I guess I'll continue with my uh, the party of my own, so to speak. Uh, With number 10, 
Uh, Lego Star Wars 3, which was kind of like Lego Star Wars The Clone Wars, but they called it Lego Star Wars 3, which I, I don't get because there was like eight Lego Star Wars games before this. It was based off the Clone Wars TV show, and it was the first Lego game that allowed you to have split screen. You know, like, you know how on the old Lego games, you guys had to be in, you had to yeah. like stay on the same screen. Characters couldn't go to different areas. This was the first one where it would have that when you were together, but when you'd split apart, the screen would split and it had like that adjusting split screen. Anyway, uh, had sweet multi, like, like, um, uh, kind of like tower defense modes where you could fight against each other, not even in the story, like kind of just a, a, a tower defense mini game where someone was, uh, the Republic and someone were the separatists. And so you had to like build your base of clone troops or, uh, droids and then go and battle it out. And like, you had to do different droids to like take down a shield or to make it through a shield or whatever and whatever. It was, it was sweet. I, and, and you like have a speeder that you're flying around on to go to different bases to command them to do different things. Yeah. That, that, I mean, great game all around. And I just love star Wars and all the new characters they had in it. Um, number nine, is Super Smash 4 on the Wii U. I talked about Super Smash on the 64 earlier, Super Smash Brothers, um, and how I like had the biggest love-hate relationship with that game where I, I wanted to be good at it, but I didn't quite couldn't quite figure it out. I didn't quite get it, so I just got stomped all the time. So I owned a Wii U, and I bought Smash, and I decided to get good at it, and I practiced a lot. And then I invited my friends over, and I was like, hey, guys, I got the new Smash. We used to have the... 16 or, or 15 of us tournament with our whiteboard you know on the 64 come over we'll do it on the wii u again and i had all my friends bring over like their uh pro controller so that we could sync them to my wii u and we played eight player smash and i won like i beat everyone over and over and over again it was the most fulfilling <laughs> experience ever <laughs> all those years later uh to come back so yeah i spent hours playing that game and, and that's the smash that i remember little mac forever um Number eight, Fat Princess. I'm curious, have any of you even heard of this game? Fat Princess? No. I've heard of it. Yeah, I remember seeing something about it in Game Informer, um, and it was like really well-reviewed and regarded. Yes, it's a phenomenal game. It, it was initially, I think it still is, a digital-only for the PlayStation Store on the PS3. Uh, not a game that you would expect to be as good as it is, but it's like 16-team... Uh, uh, team versus team battles. So, like, one of them, the main mode, which is called Fat Princess, one of you are, like, a red team, another one's a blue team, and each team is 16 people. You can play locally or online. Um, and you have a castle with your princess in it, um, the, uh, which is the other team. Like, you've captured... So, if you're on the red team, you have the blue team's princess in your dungeon. Um, and so you have to go out, and you, everyone starts as a builder that can chop down trees and mine ore, and you have to go collect those things. And then you come in, and with that wood and ore you, you gather, you can build machines that let you, like, become a knight or become a mage or become a priest. And so you have to, like, build these things to get different hats that you put on. When you put on a hat, you get that ability. Or, like, an archer, for example. And then you can upgrade the machines more. And then there's little pieces of cake laying around the map. And if you pick up cake and bring it back to the princess, it makes her fat. And she, like, slowly gets skinnier. So you keep feeding her cake so she's fat. So when the other team tries to save her she's super heavy and really slow um and so then you try and kill them and, and prevent them from saving their princess and then carry her back to your dungeon so you're trying to prevent the other team from saving their princess while trying to save your own uh and it's absolutely chaos and uh if you get enough kills you become 
uh, a Grim Reaper and you just one-hit kill everyone. There's a potion that you can launch in a catapult that turns everyone to chickens. Like, it's just madness and is an absolute blast. I genuinely was almost higher on the list because I, I had the most fun playing it online. And we, you could play four-person online, like, like locally four-player online in a team of 16, and it was – I love that game. Uh, really recommend it to anyone. I bet you could probably get it on a PS4 or PS5. I, I have no idea. I don't I own either of those, but definitely worth it. Um, above that, number seven, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Matt and Rob – or Rob has talked a lot about Halo and Halo 2, and I assume Matt is going to as well. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 was Halo 2 to me. Um, oh my gosh, the hours I spent in that campaign, the hours that my brother and I spent in that split-screen special ops trying to get three stars on every single mission. Uh, and then, of course, the good old days, local four-player split-screen, like screaming at each other for screen cheating because uh, you're just getting sniped. <laughs> You're like, yeah, and you're just screaming at each other. Um, yeah, I like seriously. My when Sma when we stopped playing Smash on the 64 with that group of friends that I talked about, it moved to my house and we played Modern Warfare 2 split screen. Um, my goodness, those maps are iconic, the weapons are iconic. Uh, I remember the classes that we still had and, and the stupid names we had. And I had, I had a friend, uh, everybody remembers the noob tube, the grenade launcher. And he'd walk around with a FAMAS and the noob tube on it. And he'd just walk around with a map. We said, he said he walked around with his noob tube hanging out because he had scavenger and a noob tube. So <laughs> he's just constantly picking up grenades over and over. And he's just launching out his grenade launcher. And he, he has the loudest voice. And he'd walk around, shoot his grenade launcher, and hear like the thunk. And he'd go like, dunk! And then you'd blow up, like just across the map. He'd noob tube you. Anyway, I miss Matt. Uh, okay, call Duty Modern Warfare 2. And then number six, my favorite racing game. Uh, of all time, which actually, why is it at number six? This should. I'm gonna do a quick switch. Okay, Audible, number six, my second favorite racing game, Mario Kart Eight. I haven't played Mario Kart Eight Deluxe because I don't have a Switch, but Mario Kart Eight, man. As far as Mario Kart games go, this is the one I played the most. I I love. I mean, who doesn't love a good Mario Kart game? Uh, it's one of the few games my wife will actually play for me, so that puts it up there pretty high because it's one of the few that I still play. Uh, Love Mario Kart. So, yeah, I guess that mm -hmm. called an audible. I'll get to my, I guess, favorite racing game later. I I have a guess. I'm not going to say it, but I will tell you honestly when you say it, um, if my guess was correct for your favorite racing okay. game. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you before I say it, and I'll, I'll let you guess. Because I was, I was pointing at the screen because I was like, I was like mouthing the words of what I thought the game was <laughs> when you were like, my favorite racing game. Um, oh, I'm curious. But, uh, so, I, I, I'm going to go next here, and my, my 10, 9, and 8 might surprise everybody because they are all old school so starting with number 10 rob you mentioned this way 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 back in your list turtles in time mm, Bef all right before i loved anything i loved teenage mutant ninja turtles i had all of the toys i would play with those stupid hard-headed turtles so much I, I 
this was like the first game as a kid that I like got yelled at for playing too much. Like <laughs> I would just play this game repeatedly and be like, you need to get off the game. Like <laughs> I absolutely love turtles in time. Like I said before it was Batman and comic books and everything in between. It was turtles in time. Number nine is Joe Montana football 95. Um, Again, I don't think this is the best sports game ever. I think that is NFL 2K5, which I had at 18. But I told the story last time of getting Joe Montana 95 opened uh, early before Christmas, which led to me figuring out that I had a Sega Genesis. Um, But I would, when I got Joe Montana, I would for three months, okay, I was in school and for three months, I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning as a kid so that I could play Joe Montana football before I went to school. And let me tell you, Harrison, how you said you got good at like hitting that uh, sleep button on the on the PS Vita and tucking it under your pillow. I, I played without the sound on. I found a way to like not touch buttons loudly. Like I <laughs> like I was so I swear at that time I should have like applied for the FBI and a secret agent because I I did everything <laughs> I could. And I think to this day, I think honestly, because I know that she actually listens to these episodes, I think this is how my mother will find out that I was up at three in the morning as a young kid playing <laughs> playing, <laughs> playing this game before school. And that's probably why my grades weren't so good <laughs> during that time period, because I was so tired. Um, but that is that is Joe Montana 95. Uh, number eight, I, a game that I don't know if any of you guys have played, and if you never did, or anybody that's listening to this never got to play this, uh, I feel really bad for you, because this game, way ahead of its time, it's called Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. And this game, this was this was for the GameCube. This game was about 100 hours. You traveled through different timelines like thousands of years this story was connected through different players but it also had this crazy sanity meter that drove you insane because what the game would do is it would turn off your screen or so you thought and that your game was frozen or that something just happened to your tv or in the middle of your playthrough it told you your memory card wasn't detected. Your save file is corrupt. And it led to players losing their minds only for the game to switch back on and say, oh yeah, you're good. Like the mechanics in this game were insane. The story was incredible. You had multiple different protagonists that you had to play as. It was so far ahead of anything that I had played. Um, at that time in my life, this game was so fun. Uh, I, I miss, I, uh, if you never got to play this game, I do feel really bad for you. Cause it's one of the good ones. Number seven, Assassin's Creed two. Uh, the first Assassin's Creed was pretty monumental. Um, but Rob, you know, this 
very, very boring and very repetitive after like the first level and a half. It was the same thing. Point A to point B, hide, jump, kill. That was it. Uh, the story was good, but everything in between in that first Assassin's Creed game was just as cookie cutter as you could get. Um, Assassin's Creed 2 upped the ante on everything, and it gave you, I think, one of... I think if you took a list, one of the most iconic characters in a video game. Uh, a guy who got one... Uh, Rob, how many appearances did he make? Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's uh, Creed Brotherhood, Brotherhood and, and then, Revelations. Um, yeah. Um, three games, which has never been done. Like, a main character for three games. Just unbelievable and one of for revelations rob that ending scene and i'm I'm tying assassin's creed 2 just to like his character development but it all started here with assassin's creed 2 and like something that just built so well upon the first game that ending scene with him where you get that panoramic shot of him sitting in the chair was like like truly like a like lump in my throat moment because you grew like if you played these games you grew up with this guy and watched him and you mentioned this go from like young arrogant brash you know with the assassins in brotherhood and becoming an old man like but it all started with assassin's creed 2 and again i i did not expect them to make the leap that they did rob from gameplay wise assassin's creed 1 to assassin's creed 2 it is a monumental jump in terms of what they offered for assassin's creed 2 it's it's one of the bigger jumps from an original ip to a sequel that i can think of um where everything worked and they didn't try to do too much right Yep. And capping this off for me at number six is the original Mass Effect. For all of the reasons that Brandon talked about the story, I'm going to completely exclude the gameplay. Um, If you're playing, if you played it when it first came out, um, the re uh, the re-release that updated gameplay mechanics for the first game, um, the gameplay was something that left a little bit to be desired when Mass Effect first came out. Um, I mean, I had a sniper rifle and just went to town, so it, I, found, I found it great. Yeah, that's that's because they updated it. Rob, do you remember the gameplay for the first Mass Effect, like when it was first released? I, I remember there was being some things that were buggy. It's a series that I'm going to kind of surprise everybody. I've never dipped my toe into. Oh, okay. Um, so... Um, with, the, with that being said, now I'm shocked. I'm stumped. Um, but it just a great story, an incredible main lead, choices that actually in the ge- – like not only in the game mattered, but then transferred over. A, a great twist, a great enemy, uh, you know, a villain to go after, and just something that didn't feel – like your typical game like it felt like the start of something of okay this is the direction things are going to be going for video games i think a huge achievement uh something that spanned three very well received games 
until the ending of the third one, which wasn't well received. But Mass Effect, I think, is one of those games that you look back in the history and it, it changed a lot for video games. One thing I will say, too, there was a point in Mass Effect and dad knows about this. There was a choice where I just sat there for like probably five minutes with my hands over my head going, what do I pick? <laughs> like I was sitting there in a frenzy like, what do I pick here? Because I knew what was going to happen. I was like, you are making me choose this? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like it actually gave you consequences that you felt bad about. Like it was a video game and literally you sat there and would go, I don't know what to do here. Like I'm uh, like the like the you're giving me a choice that's no choice because either way, I I don't feel yeah, good I about it. <laughs> so I didn't want to do what I had to do. <laughs> see, I, I think I think Mass Effect predates Telltale's like Walking Dead series. I'm right about that, correct? Yes. Yeah. I so nobody has actually mentioned a Telltale uh, oh. game um, unless unless somebody's got one sitting in their top five that that I don't know about. It's not in my top five, um, but I I can distinctly remember some of the choices you have to make in some of those Telltale games. The Game of Thrones one, there's a couple major choices you got to make, uh, but those Walking Dead games the choices you have to make and you know exactly what's going to happen. And some of them, they give you no time at all. Like there's right. a bar it's that tracks boom, down. Boom, boom. You just have to react. What's your choice? Go with your first gut instinct. And then what's crazy about this uh, is you have to make the decision and then you have to like, why did I choose that? Like I just decided like, Nope, screw that guy dead. You know, like mm-hmm. why did I, why did I do that? I, am I a terrible person? Like, it really makes you think of that. And and I think Mass Effect is probably the first game that there's, there's other games that introduced choice, but this one really introduced choice in a way that had consequences. And well, it, I think it's one of the first ones, the first good examples of that. Um, Harrison, I'll, I, I know you wanted to chime in too. Um, one thing that I will say about Mass Effect, I think one of the reasons why it was so impactful is uh, games before that offered choice, but this was a game when it offered choice because of the upgrade and graphics, like, you know, it's, I don't know if it affects you as much when you're looking at like an eight bit character and you're making choices, but when there's a living, breathing world and there's like photorealistic graphics, I think it adds to the weight of, of those choices. And I think that's why mass effect, you know, was, although it wasn't the first game to do it, it was one of those games that was just talked about because of the upgrade in graphics and just everything that was going on with it because it made it feel like you were more involved. And I will, sorry, Harrison. And voice acting. Yes. in voice acting. One last thing here. Uh, that's an honorable, I'm just going to say it's an honorable mention. I totally forgot about that walking dead series. But yeah. what, when I say at the end of that first game with Lee, that was a I cried moment that that was a oh my god how does this simple mechanic press a button game how is this making me do this the story that they told in that first season was unbelievable it's a game type that we haven't seen since like King's Quest in the early 90s if anybody remembers those Mm -hmm. 
two of you weren't even born yet, so probably not. But uh, there was there was these adventure games called King's Quest that were pretty simple. Um, they they started on floppy disks and then they eventually migrated to CD. And it was kind of that point and click adventure, and there was a lot of inventory management and stuff like that. But it was um, you know it was it was a narrative story, um, you know, kind of like kind of like what became The Walking Dead. And um, yeah, it's uh, definitely one of those impactful uh, storytelling moments in gaming. I was just going to jump in here and going back to Mass Effect. I never played the games, but I remember the choices being significant enough and having severe enough consequences. It was actually something that we discussed frequently in um, my political science class in high school and also my art teacher. Uh, I think it was it was either Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3. When did Mass Effect 2 come out, if any of you know off the top of your head? Uh Oh, jeez. I I literally actually just looked this up a little while ago uh, because I, Brandon was asking, like, when did – like, when he was playing and he was, like, talking about, like, wow, like, these games did this, like, back then. Uh, 2010. Yeah, there you go. 2010? Okay, yeah. so it, it must have been Mass Effect 2. Uh, my art teacher at the time was playing it, and I remember he would come – or excuse me, she would come. I got the story mixed up. She would come to class, and while we were like working on our art projects, we d- would discuss what decisions she should make as like a <laughs> class. Uh, so like that's how severe those choices are. That's wild. The thing that Bioware released Mass Effect One in two thousand seven, and in the same year released Bioshock. Oh wow, that's crazy. That's two like iconic games, like in the same year. Interesting. Usually, don't see that. Usually, one of those is a miss. Or even that, just one. Yeah, that's yeah. So, uh, oh boy, Rob. Top five. We are here. The moment is now. Yeah, so this is hard. Um, <laughs> the top five. Here we are. Um, I feel pretty good about the five games that I've got here. I actually feel pretty good about the order that they're in. So I'm just going to jump right into it. Number five, Goldeneye. 100% Woo! some of the most fun I've ever had in gaming was playing Goldeneye. Um, I'm not sure of all the times we played, uh, co-op or, you know, competitive multiplayer. I don't know that I ever didn't win, um, a game playing the stack with, um, remote mines or proximity mines. Those were kind of my jam right there. Proxy mines and uh, remote mines. I was, I was pretty deadly with, um, had such a great time with it. By the way, go back and play it now. It does not hold up <laughs> much no. at all. No, um, no, no, it's it kind of doesn't. That is nostalgia um, was, goggles. <laughs> yes. Yep. One hundred percent. I freely admit it. I I'm well aware of it, and I don't care. I am I am in nostalgiaville population. Mm-hmm. Me. Um. You know, it's it's crazy to think about the story on this game. The multiplayer mode was just something they kind of like slapped on at the end because they had a little bit of time yes. before they had to ship it. Like this almost didn't happen and and nobody would remember this game because this the single player is fun sure 
But that's not what people remember this game for. I mean, it is fun, but it's the multiplayer. Yep. It's the hours of passing the controller around. Um, quick story, uh, freshman in college, and I'm walking in and out of people's dorm rooms, just kind of meeting everybody. And I'd walk in and I'd see people playing Goldeneye. Like, oh, hey, Goldeneye. Oh, how do you, this looks like fun. Uh, how do you play it? And I, and I would literally hustle people playing Goldeneye. Like, they didn't know that I was good at it. And, and they got to the point where I'd walk into somebody's room. Oh, hey, you guys are playing gold. Now they should be like, get out. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Go back to You're your room. <laughs> nope. Not doing this. So um, number five for me is Goldeneye. Uh, number four is Skyrim. Um, just what an amazing game. Um, there's really so few things about Skyrim that you could point to and be like, nope, they screwed that up, or that part sucks, or that's no fun at all. Um, it's it's you can just completely lose yourself in a game, just completely lose yourself in it. Very much. I I actually probably played Oblivion more, and there's things about Oblivion that I said that I like better than Skyrim, but Skyrim is just such a complete experience from start to finish. Um, number three, GTA Five. It was kind of strange to me that they were going to focus on three protagonists, but I think it gave them so many more options from storytelling, and it made you invested more in these three characters. Um, the time you spend with Michael, Trevor, and Franklin, um, particularly Trevor. Trevor is just such a fun character. What what a nutball that guy is. Um, that when they do, you know, the three of them do link up, if you only play to, say, Michael or, or say, Franklin, and the other two just kind of come in and out. Um, I don't think you would have enjoyed it as much. You wouldn't have really enjoyed, you know, every aspect of it if you weren't switching back and forth between those characters the way that you did. I can distinctly remember I finished the game. The final, I mean, there's some missions in this one that are tough. I mean, they're, they are rough missions to get through. Um, I can remember I finished the game. You could tell this was building to a finale. I finished it. The credits are rolling, and I was actually upset. I was angry. And it wasn't that I was angry that I didn't get a full experience, because I certainly got more than, than I needed, but I just didn't want it to be over. I, I wanted it to keep going. I wanted more with, with those three. I wanted more heists. I wanted more of all of it. Uh, and it was over, and that meant it was time to play something else now instead. Um, so I, I just remember thinking to myself, what what a masterpiece of interactive entertainment. Brings me to number two. Final Fantasy III for Super Nintendo. Known internationally as Final Fantasy VI. Um, Final Fantasy III is a game that I've played over and over again. Put a lot of time into, a lot of hours into. It's characters that you really grow to care about. It's character relationships that you really believe. And we're talking about something that was released in the 16-bit era mm. that many modern games cannot match with voice acting and photorealistic graphics and motion capture and professional script writers you know, crossing over from Hollywood to come over to, to gaming. There's still games that don't even touch what Final Fantasy III accomplished in the early 90s. Um, the twist in the middle of the game, you never see coming. 
you really, really grow to love these characters. The music is incredible. Listen to any of the themes from this game. I mean, there's there's symphony versions of this you can find on uh, on on pretty much any of the streaming services that you look for. Certainly they're available on Spotify. You can look these up and they're fantastic. There's a guy that, um, for those of you who are fans of the EPU, Eric found a couple um, for our last episode on Boondock Saints. Uh, there's a guy that does like uh, heavy metal guitar covers of songs. Uh, there's versions of many of the themes from Final Fantasy III that this guy did uh, that are bangers. Um, absolute fantastic. There's side quests that are deep and complex and interesting that many people will finish the game and never even realize. Um, you know, I actually had Cyan in my party one time and accidentally just like, oh, I, here's this busted up castle. Let me walk into it. Turns out it was his family's castle before it was attacked. And then I just kind of, oh, hey, I probably need to refresh my HP. So I felt I used one of the beds, went to sleep. And then out of nowhere, it just launches this whole other side mission that I never even knew about. And I just accidentally found it. And you wonder how many people never actually experienced that story of the game. Um, It's so, so good. And it's actually, if you're a Nintendo Switch owner, get yourself Nintendo Online because then you can play it again. It's also on the SNES Classic if you own one of those. Um, So many cool components they added to this. You know, you think about Edgar and his tools, Saban and the Blitzes. Um, all of the different unique skills that each character had, you can kind of play to your style and, and which characters you found most compelling. Um, the grind to level up your characters and the grind to have them learn their magic uh, faster as you equip them with the espers, that kind of sucked. Um, the grind to have Pow learn all of his rages, that kind of sucked. Outside of that, this game is just an absolute, complete masterpiece. Um, it's some of the best that we have to to offer in in gaming. So now we're getting to one. Here we are. Yeah, we're World here. Number one. We're here. I thought about this a lot because there's a lot of games that could have been my number one. The game that I have at number one. I believe is the Citizen Kane of interactive storytelling. I believe that it is as compelling a story as anything I've seen, movies, TV, fiction, you know, books, anything. Um, The story that has stuck with me and will stick with me. And I'm talking about The Last of Us. Um, When that game was over, typically when when I finish a game, I pop it, you know, I pop the disc out, I set it to the side, and I put it on my dresser, and the next time I'm going to be near a GameStop, I go trade it in, because I don't typically replay games once I've beat them. I just don't have the time, because there's so many other games out there that I haven't played yet. I don't typically go back and replay things once I'm done with them. I can remember when the credits rolled on this, just sitting on my couch, just kind of staring at the screen, trying to process everything that just happened in those final moments. I walked up, I hit the eject button, and I just put it back on my shelf because that just seemed like where that should be. That just seemed like a thing I should own. Um, I just, 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 just have. Not that I necessarily intended to play it again, but it just felt weird to me to part with this thing because of, of the impact that it just had. Um, 
if you're not somebody who's ever played this and you're not somebody who thinks you'll ever have time for it, at the very least, look up like maybe the video cutscenes on YouTube and just watch those. Um, and this is one of those ones, I mentioned it earlier, when people try to poo-poo video games and they try to talk down about it or they try to get a holier-than-thou attitude about it, um, this is one of those ones. Now, the game is incredibly violent, and that's not mm-hmm. for everybody. It's very gory. It's kind of scary, Harrison. You're probably not going to want to play this one because <laughs> it's kind of scary. Um, um, but in terms of being able to tell a story, um, this is one of those ones that I would say, like, you can't you can't be serious and actually have knowledge of the existence of this game. If If you want to say that this is juvenile or is not on par with movies, not on par with anything else. The last of us is all you need to be able to disprove somebody. So that's why I call it. It is the citizen Kane of interactive storytelling. I was waiting for one of you to mention it. I've, I've never played it, but I remember, I don't know, probably a year ago, year and a half ago, I was subscribed to wired magazine. And I remember an article that was the cover article about The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. And it was, no joke, probably like 10 pages in a magazine about the impact that this game had on storytelling, just as a narrative, just just flat-out storytelling, but also in interactive media. And I was like, I remember wishing I owned a console just to play the game because of how much uh, the the realness of which it spoke, the game portrayed in, in I, I don't know, I... I uh, have never played the game. I don't know the story, but just from that alone and, and reading that article, I, I was waiting for it to be mentioned. I knew it would be. Yeah, uh, I, I think... I, I'll, I won't go too far into it, but it is... I, I was th- As the list was going, I was like, okay, this will be... Like, this will be Rob's number one. And as I was thinking about like this list and everything in between, like Rob, like thinking about how I was like, I kind of know how Rob feels about The Last of Us. I'm pretty sure it's going to be number one. It makes me actually like want to go back, replay it, and see if I have a different perspective because it's good. I, there's there's nothing that you're going to hear from me that says that it's not good, that it's not great. But for some reason, when I played it, that great didn't have the same effect. Um, So I'd be interested to maybe go back and play that again and see if there is a different outcome for me on that. We could just play a remake coming up. Yeah, that's true. That's, That's the other thing. You know, they also did some DLC for this, which um, sometimes DLC can be like a a cash grab or you're basically just paying for cat ears or something ridiculous. Um, This one, I, one of the things I like about, if you like a game a lot, the typically really well-crafted DLC is a short, fast experience. It's a smaller map. You know, it's, it's a shorter, you know, you feel accomplishment without having to spend, you know, another hundred hours finishing something. The the story that they told of Ellie 
before she meets Joel is really, really good. It adds a lot to the character of Ellie. And they actually show a moment where, you know, it, it takes place kind of in the middle of that story with her and Joel, but flashes backward. Um, I would call that DLC kind of a must have for anybody who plays the game because it really does add a lot to your understanding of the character. It adds a lot to your understanding of who she is and why she feels the way she does. And I think it really does help you understand her better when you get to the second game too. Interesting. Brandon, uh, I think I know what your number one is, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you probably know. But uh, before that, you got to start with number five. Yep. So one thing I will say before that, two through four, those were like my top three for like two years now. And that was probably the hardest part listing about this was those three. I had to list them. But it's like all of them, like they're like, yeah, these are like my top three. Then another game came in and into the mix, but it took a long, long time to rank these. Number five, this is my last Nintendo game on here. I have The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Probably has my favorite, one of my favorite moments in video games. I got this, what, for Christmas? Yep. It was from Christmas all the way until, like, September of the next year. It took for me to beat this game. I beat the final boss. It drops me back onto another tower. And I just look at the map and see what I've done. And there's a percentage of how much I've done. Like, probably, it didn't put, like, 100 hours into it. But, like, a good, like, 70 or 80. I had only 16% done of that game. So I just sat there like, what? What have I missed? How big is this game? And it's crazy now because you look on Twitter and there's like different copies. Link apparently can pull a twig out of the Master Sword pedestal in there. You could apparently walk through fire somehow. You could launch yourself across the map. This game is over four years old. How are we still finding this stuff? Mm-hmm. And also, the tutorial is excellent. The tutorial, The Great Plateau, is so good on introducing you to the game. And at the very end, just it intentionally gives you two open, broken windows. And one of them is the final boss basically telling you, hey, you can go there if you want. But you could also explore on this window next to you, which... You want to explore because this is probably my favorite rendition of Hyrule because it's so big, so expansive. It's the type of open world that I love where they just put you in it. It's not really full of like markers or anything. So whenever I'm looking, I just go, oh, what's over there? I don't care about the story now. What's over there in that big mountain? And it just draws me over there while the main story is across the across the way. Like it that's pretty nuts. And that's what Elden Ring's doing too. Number four, I have Final Fantasy VII Remake. This was a game I stayed up until midnight for it to release, along with my dad. Meanwhile, we had the um pre-order ps4 theme which revealed a major part of the story which we are clueless about we stared at for hours Mm -hmm. didn't know 
didn't didn't catch on one of the big twists with the villain. So this game, they mix they mix turn based and like live action combat, and somehow just made it absolutely amazing, like god tier combat in the greatest way. And then they then the characters. Somehow the main char- the main character, not even Aerith, not even Tifa, is probably the best character in this game. It's Barrett. In a part where he doesn't have much part of it, Barrett is so, so well written with him and Marlene. And that's not to say anything about anything else. Tifa's a lot better than the original. Aerith is the character who they wanted her to be and who you could see is coming out in the original. Then, like, all the citizens in there, like, it feels real. There's Mm -hmm. a conversation where if you don't take the stairs, which I suggest you do because it's hilarious, there's a conversation with a man, just a normal man, and he's like, yeah, love you too, because he's calling about, like, these avalanche terrorists, and it's such a real real conversation and it's just kind of crazy because that was like probably the first time I ever really experienced that in games where it felt real and then let's not talk about the the conversations you could have after the game the hours and hours of time after the game you could talk about where where is this going because it's crazy we did a podcast on it yeah, we did. And we didn't even touch all of it. We even touched the bonus stuff like Yuffie was working from someone in the mobile game that's going to be re-released soon. Like, it's stuff like that. And the thing that, like, the combat's going to get better because the Yuffie DLC was a lot better. That's another, Rob, you talked about DLC that's basically necessary. You pretty much have to get the Yuffie one. Because mm-hmm. they write her, they write her how not only how Yuffie should be written, but like just making her a good character. They keep that's what they do. They make these characters better, but keep the foundation. Number three, near automata. Now we talked about dad only playing through ending A. I went through A, B, C, D, and E. It is a it is a road of tears going through all those endings. The growth of these characters, the massive the ti- the title screen and like at the beginning of Route C is probably the biggest like bomb drop in gaming to me just because of the moments before that, the heart grabbing moments that they do. And like you look at the gameplay, it's like, oh, this it's this robot. Like, how would I care for that? They they make you care. Yoko Yoko Taro's writing is amazing, and it's on full display in this game. Number two, I have Persona Five Royal. Now, this is probably in terms of gameplay the best. I haven't played SMT Five yet. But in terms of turn base, this is the best in terms of overall gameplay. And it also helps that the style and just the looks of it complement the game greatly. 
there are some writing flaws in there, I will say. There are some scenes, a whole a whole like dungeon area that honestly sucks. Dad, you know it's it's horrible. Yeah. With a terrible boss at the end. But man, just the feeling at the end of the game, it's so great. And then the stuffed edition with Royal. Now there's a character that after it you're like, hmm. This character's alright. He's pretty good. You can see where they're going. They make that character look the best in the game somehow. And that third semester, the villain, the character development in there, the final boss is just so... It's so amazing. Like, I could ride home for days just how amazing that third semester is. Number one, I have to talk about all the expansions in this. Because this was my thing about the game. If I'm going to put this in, I have to put all the expansions in. Final Fantasy XIV. Now, once again, this is a game where Dad only played a certain part of it. But I'll start with Realm Reborn. It is 100% the blueprint for everything that they're going to do. And even though there are some problems in there, especially pacing-wise and a really bad story decision at, like, post-Realm Reborn. But there are some good, good moments. Like, at the very, like the last dungeon, you're riding in with, like, eight other players, and you're, like, and like, you feel like you're fighting for a world that you care about. And that's another thing. Being an online game, it helps it a lot. Because, like, I could be walking down the street and I am a part of someone else's journey. Like it's crazy to think about. Now, second expansion, Heaven's Ward. An amazing revenge story. Which actually holds a that you've played Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. They hold they have a Knights of the Round Table boss fight. Which is super fan servicey in a way. But that's what part of this game is. It's a celebration of Final Fantasy. And that's part, and that's like one of the big like things about it is like these summons that like you've played with and you've been these bosses with, like you're fighting them and you're fighting them in all your glory. And it's basically held to a pedestal with that Knights of the Round fight. Stormblood, I'd probably say, is the weakest expansion, but in terms of gameplay, what it brought was amazing. Like it. Like, the gameplay, they somehow made more interactive for an MMO with all the different, like, in-game cutscenes. There's times where you have to tap on the button. I remember dying a couple of times to those, just not paying attention. But the ending to Stormblood is nuts because it sets up the next expansion. You have a, have a rematch with the final boss, and it's set up so well that puts your, your character on such a pedestal and now let's talk about Shadowbringers. It's such a typical, like, it's a Final Fantasy story once you describe it. But it's handled, like, Rob, you mentioned Final Fantasy 3. It's done with that same love and, like, what makes those game stories great. It's exactly what's in, in Shadowbringers with moments that, like, just leave you so. Like you're on here sitting there, like so hyped up to fight this boss. Us, like I remember the final boss of the base Shadowbringers, and I was going nuts. 
That's with the final blow and everything. The boss fight in 5.3 is probably the best build-up in gaming. One of my favorite bosses in gaming. Just the ending to a great story in Shadowbringers. And then, released early later this year, actually last year, was Endwalker. I came into Endwalker just being like, they can't, they can't top Shadowbringers. No way. They somehow just pushed right through. Phenomenal score. There's only three like main trial bosses, and they're all top five in the game easily. I remember like waking up in the morning and just going to dad. I was like, I cried a lot fighting that <laughs> boss. <laughs> it's like I cried a lot. Then there's there's a moment like the first boss is not what you're expecting, but I was sitting there like, let's do this because it's it's a fight that built up from the first expansion and they delivered where I'm like, I'm gonna do it, <laughs> but it's so great to where at the final like the fight before the final boss, I was fighting through tears with of what they were doing. I was sitting there with the controller like I got. Like it was, it's so beautiful. A lot of hype moments, and it brings up to a very solid. Like it's a brilliant conclusion to this arc. And I cannot wait to see what they do going forward. Well, I just gotta say I love hearing Brandon's enthusiasm about all of these games. Something I haven't played. It's just fun. One through I, four, I, also... I hold on pinnacle. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I remember, like I mentioned, I played Final Fantasy thirteen, and I, I, di- I never played fourteen, but I was still in the community when it was released. And, like, I remember talking to my friends and, like, seeing the reaction to it and just kind of being surprised that it could be have that good of reaction. So I finally can put two and two together and understand why. Yeah, there's a reason why it's still hyped up. <laughs> yeah. Also, I got to say what you said about Breath of the Wild, how you just, like, want to explore. I remember... Because I spent hours watching like developer videos about Breath of the Wild because I was waiting forever for it. And one of them, I think it was like the head director of it, was saying how he wanted to make a Hyrule where you could see the mountains in the distance and say, I want to go to those mountains and then be able to. And then also to be able to climb those mountains and see what's on the other side of them. And uh, it's interesting to hear someone almost say that they did that in the game word for word. Yeah, you're literally like, oh what the heck's up there? Let me go see it in this like super tall mountain. But you don't even know if there's anything there. You just want to go there. Right. So I guess it's me next. With my top five? You are? Okay. My top five, it's... I don't know. I feel like these games don't compare to any of those. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, they are my top five games, the ones that mean a significant amount to me. Uh, for various reasons. Um, number five, Disney Infinity 3.0. I had this high, then I moved it a lot lower, then I moved it back, and I eventually kept it here for f- two reasons mainly. One, because I just love Disney Infinity, but as a huge lover of Star Wars, this has fantastic Star Wars gameplay, which you would not expect from <laughs> this game. But, like, for example, Soka Tano, she has two lightsabers, and her um, fighting style is completely different because of the way she fights with the two lightsabers, that you can actually use them while 
fighting, it, it, which is sweet. So it's just great that the care went into the love of Star Wars and everything that this game offered. Additionally, just like in the way that Disney Infinity set up to be able to offer multiple play sets, it felt like each one genuinely was a different game. Additionally, the toy box, I still spend time in. I was messing around building a racetrack in the toy box earlier today, and it's the best here. So as someone who loves Legos and loves building things, it's great to have a, a creative outlet digitally as well. Um, so number four, which was the Audible I called, my favorite racing game of all time. I want to hear Matt's guess. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact name. But it, is it one of the burnout games? No, actually, okay. it's not. Um, so my favorite racing game of all time is actually a MotorStorm game. The second one, MotorStorm Pacific Rift. Uh, one of the first games I bought myself when I got a PS3. And oh, the hours I spent playing that game. The, the joy that you can get out of a simple racing game that literally has nothing besides races like it's not like a need for speed game where there's a city you can drive around or anything like that like it's literally just select a race race select another one race uh but the the mechanics of it the brawling that you can do um like for example if you're on an atv or a motorcycle you can punch other motorcyclists next to you and punch them off their motorcycle uh it's just a ridiculous game and, and split screen four player races with my friends we Oh my gosh, the hours we spent playing that game. Fantastic racing game. Um, and a lot of it also just is nostalgia for the times of, you know, we, we like for example, in the game you can drive as like a big rig semi-truck <laughs> or you can drive as a monster truck. And my brother always drove as a semi-truck and my friend Matt, who had the noob tube in Call of Duty, uh, always drove as a monster truck and was always talking up how much better it was in the semi-truck. So we'd like create battles, even though it wasn't a mode, we'd just like turn off all the computers and put them into a track and just let them, uh, like like you could turn off a setting where you could drive backwards as much as you want. So then they'd pretty much just have like a battle in this race and just try and throw each other off the map because it had like cliff edges and things like that. Like just ridiculous things we spent playing that game. It's just a simple time that was a simple game that made a lot of great fun. Um, number three, uh, the first of the two Lego games in my top three, Lego City Undercover. This is, I mentioned how the Wii U is the only is the last console I bought. Lego City Undercover is the reason that I bought a Wii U. It was initially only on the Wii U. It was a Wii U exclusive, and it came out when the Wii U had launched. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge Lego fan. I was an even bigger Lego fan back then. Like, Legos legit were my life. Uh, and so a new Lego game that wasn't based off any franchise or property except for Lego, yeah, I was... I was going to buy whatever I had to to play that, <laughs> and uh, it did not disappoint. It's pretty much like, uh, if you haven't played it, like Grand Theft Auto Lego version as an undercover cop. Uh, hours and hours of playtime, even though I beat the game 100% multiple times, it's still fun to just go in and, and goof around. Um, second Lego game, though, in my top three is number two. A very, very special place in my heart. It, it was almost my number one. When you guys talked about making our, our top 100 list, I just put it at number one immediately, um, and then not till recently, switched it to number two, and that is Lego Star Wars, the original trilogy, which is the one that Rob mentioned earlier. Um, one of the reasons that I continued to play video games, I mentioned I had a PS2. This was the game that I played on PS2 the most with my brother. We beat it 100% multiple times, we, we played it so much that my friends would come over. So in our neighborhood, there was another group, there was another family who had 
a boy my age and then a boy my younger brother's age. And so the, the we were friends and they would come over and the game was only two player and we would get in trouble because my brother and I would fight so much <laughs> for our turn to play with our friend. And my mom would have to take away the game from us. So, I mean, just the hours and hours and hours of it, you know, the replayability of the levels, you know, playing it as a Sith or someone who's miniature uh, or a double jump so you can unlock a new area or whatever. I, I mean, this is the game that built my love for games and, and the reason to continually come back to it. Because all the games I had before that were just like simple party games, you know. Uh, and, and this was the one where it really felt continuous. It felt familiar and it, it felt... Uh, essentially repetitive uh, in so to, essentially repeatable not repetitive repeatable um, I, I if my brother listens to this I'm sure he will immediately have memories of him and I playing Lego Star Wars legitimately for hours customizing in our customizing our characters uh, trying to get all the mini kits oh my gosh those mini kits were impossible especially because there was no like online guides like we mm -hmm. just genuinely had to wander around the levels you know with different characters trying different things to find them all uh, very, very special place in my heart for that game. And number one, my number one game of all time, much simpler game than any of those you mentioned. Uh, it is Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate, or Monster Hunter 3U. It was on the Wii U and wow. 3DS. Uh, came out of nowhere. I had, like I mentioned, I had a Wii U. It didn't have a ton of games, particularly at the launch of it. And I was just kind of looking for games to buy at Walmart one day. And I was just like, whatever. Like, the cover looks cool. I'll buy it. Uh, and my brother had a 3DS, and he's like, sure, okay, I'll buy it for his 3DS as well. Because it was the same game. It wasn't like a dumbed-down version on the 3DS. And that opened a world to the two of us that I was not prepared for. Uh, oh, my gosh, the time we spent. Uh, the first game where where choices, not nowhere near, like, anything that was talked about before, but, like, choices matter. Like, I don't know, like, Lego Star Wars, when you go to fight somebody or fight a boss, it doesn't matter what armor you're wearing or what weapon you're using. But in Monster Hunter, it matters what armor you're wearing because there's elemental attacks. It matters what weapon you're using, and it matters where you hit the monster and how and when and if you're using a bowgun or a bow, what uh, uh, elemental equipment you have on. And then you gotta have you gotta have your farm back at your camp so that you can grow herbs, and then you gotta go forage for honey so that you can make a potion so you have ways to regenerate health. Like it was just things and mechanics and games we had never experienced before to that level. And it was a steep, steep learning curve. But when we got it, oh my God, we got it. And the ability to play online together. It wasn't online, but to play together. So he was on his DS, or 3DS. I was on my Wii U, and we would go and hunt monsters together. Just the two of us. Um, made it all the way to G-Rank without ever playing. If anyone's played that game, it is hard to make it a G-Rank without four hunters and just the two of us. Man. And then, like, I don't know if you guys have ever played those games. To get yes. specific armor... Um, you have to like get a specific amount of items from a monster. Like sp specifically, one I remember a lot, a Rathalos Ruby, and it has like a one percent drop rate. So, so you get these items by beating the monster, and then you can carve it three times afterwards. And each carve, you get an item, and then you get like six or seven rewards from completing the quest. The Rathalos Ruby has a one percent chance, one percent chance on a quest complete, a two percent chance on a carve. But if you break off the tail and carve the tail, it has a 15% chance. But if you break the head first and the wings and then cut off the tail and then carve the tail, well, then there's a 25% chance. And you need three of them to complete the armor set and then a fourth to get the weapon. <laughs> and so the amount of time my brother and I just just over and over, oh, we didn't get it. Okay, start the quest over. Uh, the, the amount of time, uh, I 
don't have my original save file, but before I deleted it, I checked. And in that one save file, which I had two, I had one on my Wii U and one on my 3DS, uh, or his 3DS when I would play it on there. The one alone on my Wii U, I had over 2,000 hours <laughs> logged into wow. it because we just, like, it, we, we called it farming. You literally just do the quest, don't get the item okay, start it over immediately. You know, fill up your potions, make sure you have enough, start the quest over, and just hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, you know, plane rides played on the 3DS. From when we fl- my family and I, if we flew to Florida, the whole plane ride, <laughs> playing it, farming, at, farming monsters. So it... it no joke, the game I've spent the most time playing. Yeah, those Monster Hunter games are, are really, really involved. Like you said, like everything matters. Like what army you've got on for this boss. Well, boss per se. Um, but yeah, those those are very involved games. So uh, I'm... Can I add something in there too? Yeah. I have an interesting fact about Monster Hunter. Did you know that this franchise and along with dragon quest is so popular in japan that when a new game releases they announce it as like a holiday basically oh my gosh i did not know that i think i told you about dragon quest but yes those two franchises are so beloved that they'll give employees time off to play those games on release oh my gosh wow yeah I remember hearing it that it was huge in Japan and finding out because, like Massive. I said, there was a steep learning curve. So my brother and I went online trying to, like, find information about it. But it wasn't, like, especially when we got it because we got it when it was first released here in the U.S. Like, no one was playing it. I mean, people were, but not really. Mm-hmm. Like, not to the point where there's things online for you to read. They were all in Japanese. <laughs> so yeah. we're, like, trying to look things up in Japanese and then translate it with Google Translate. And then, like, that's not very accurate, you know, because it's talking about a video <laughs> game. And you're like, how does this work? Uh, it, I mean, it just literally just opened like a whole new world to us because all the, the things we'd ever played was the basic mainstream games that everybody plays. And like, this was the first one where none of our friends had heard of it and it was like our thing. Uh, and it was it, for a long time, very Japanese. <laughs> yeah, Monster Hunter, I like, it didn't get like the, I don't think the mainstream until Monster Hunter, uh, like Ultimate came out for the PS4. Oh yeah, that one. I haven't played that one. My brother did and it's, totally different gameplay yeah uh like they totally changed the game uh which i'm okay with but yeah uh, i forget what it's actually called though monster hunter monster hunter world that's yes monster hunter world um so anyway all right so for me number five the first and only zelda game i have ever beat ever zelda ocarina of time um this is just for whatever reason, this is the Zelda game that pulled me in and made me want to finish. I, I have never had a big interest in finishing Zelda games. Um, I've watched them be played, things like that. But for whatever reason, this game, when I was younger, I, I just I wanted to, for some reason, play this. And then once I started playing it, I just I had to finish it when it came out on the 3DS. Of course, I had to buy it. Just there was something about this, the world, the story, everything about this game just kept me coming back to saying, no, like I'm I'm going to beat this game. Uh, That's my number five. Number four is Halo 2. Now, Halo 2, I worked at GameStop when this game was getting ready to be released. And this... When when I say that like that was my first experience with like 
craziness for video games. Uh, the midnight release, which was insane. The marketing, everything about this game was huge. Like we got in copies three weeks in advance before they were set to go on sale for the public. And they were like, these things were under lock and key. You had to keep them in the back. You had to count them every single shift to make sure that nothing was missing from how many you were supposed to have for the pre-orders. Like this game was unreal. And then I do remember um, we actually, my store manager was really cool. He let us take our copies home a week before the streak date. Um, yeah. And when I tell you that it was very like, do not be signed on to Xbox live with this game. <laughs> like you like, do not do this. Um, I would charge people $10 to come over to my house so that they could play Halo too. My God. <laughs> because they they did not believe they were like, wait, you have it? I was like, Yep. Oh my god. I was like, ten bucks, you can come over and play it. Like but just Halo 2. And I remember like this was one of the first times with a game that ending where it's just like, Master Chief, what do you think you're doing? And he's just, sir, finishing this fight. And then the like the game cuts off. I remember like a couple of my friends were like actually like really ticked about that. Um, I was so hyped just to see like what was going to happen. Like literally in my head, I was like, yeah, we're going to go get those mother like, <laughs> like I was so, so ready for the next game, but everything about Halo 2, the Arbiter, like that game was just so great. Um I absolutely loved it. I could not believe how well it was done. Uh, Halo 2, just an absolute like monument game for me. And a crazy time for... Um... <laughs> a crazy time for me for gaming and in my life because of working at GameStop. Um, number three, Knights of the Old Republic. Star Wars, unbelievable. It, just how could you not capture like that game captured everything about star Wars building your own lightsaber, your companion characters were unbelievable just and the twist. It, it was like the sixth sense where once that twist hit and they took you back and through everything, it was like, how did I not see this? Like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're able to hide this, but the one of those old phrases is the best way to hide is right in plain sight. And they hid that twist right in plain sight for you, but you never, like, I never saw it coming. And I was so thrown by that twist. It was just unbelievable. Um, that remake, it, it's going to be a day one purchase for me. I just Knights of the Old Republic is the best Star Wars game I think ever produced. It's not even close. It's a landslide victory for that uh, for that series. Um, much much like 
The Last Jedi is easily one of the better Star Wars movies. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> had to put it in there. So many ones. So, <laughs> had to put it in there. Oh, I had to. I had to. Uh, I saw that I saw that wound over there on Rob and I wanted to throw salt. <laughs> but, I gotta say, I've never played that game, but I've spent hours reading about the story and watching cutscenes on YouTube. Uh there is a great story in it. Oh, the the story's fantastic. That when they destroy that city and that starship is just over top of it, just raining down. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, that game is so good. Um I'm fairly certain you can download it on mobile. Oh, everything. Um, for either like next to nothing or at most it'll be like ten bucks. It's uh it's seven ninety nine to download it on mobile. So, and it's coming out on Switch, though. Or did it come out on Switch? It might have already. I, I think you can buy it from the eShop on Nintendo Switch. Um, I think it has. Yeah. yeah. I think I saw it the other day. So, Harrison, if for some reason you get a Switch, you can buy it for like seven ninety nine. But. I should. Yes. Yes, you should. Um, <laughs> yes. Number two is Resident Evil 2 for the PlayStation 2. My favorite Resident Evil game of all time, bar none. Absolutely, I mean, it introduced you to the main protagonist that has spanned across so many platforms for Resident Evil. Um, Whether you like him or not, if you ask about Resident Evil, maybe besides somebody saying, oh, you mean those crappy movies? Uh, somebody will say Leon Kennedy. Everybody knows who he is. The the multiple playthrough scenarios with A and B, uh, having to play them in different orders to get the entire story. Uh, I absolutely loved Resident Evil 2. You know, played it so many times. Actually played through it multiple times, both endings. Just because I love the game so much. Resident Evil 2 was such a big part of my childhood. Um, And my favorite Resident Evil title to date. Number one. This was just actually talked about very recently. um, From somebody who is going to be not only mine. But pretty soon the universal choice for the best Batman ever on film. Uh, Robert Pattinson recently talked about this game, Final Fantasy VII from 1997. And this game at the time for me, there was absolutely like absolutely nothing like it. Um, I wanted this game. This is a this is a true story. I wanted this game so bad. I could not find it anywhere. My friend had it. Um, he had beaten it. And between my buddy and I, we both wanted the game and he was selling it. Um, I didn't. He's still alive. I didn't kill him. Um, But I did end up paying $80 for this game because I wanted it so bad that I like at the time outbid my friend to be able to have this game. And just so many different emotions with this game um you know it was the gold saucer sephiroth 
finding out that cloud you know wasn't really cloud what he thought he was uh finding vincent in a basement and unlocking that side character getting your materia stolen by yuffie um just everything about this game resonated with me on so many levels uh this was probably the first video game where i actually cried during it happening with um a main character's death just coming to me out of nowhere. I had so many emotions wrapped up in this game um, that it's very easily just number one for me without even a question. Uh, this game was everything that I could have hoped for and like really defines like when I was like, yeah, um, video games are like the greatest thing ever was, was Final Fantasy VII. So uh, that's going to top my one through five but uh one thing that we do want to talk about here and we'll go in the same order unless anybody has anything before that is your favorite video game console and uh, one thing that i think is you know when you look at our list and maybe just because it's you know systems didn't come out as frequently as they did or what seems like it you know even Rob, like we're older, um, but even the 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 amount of games on this list that are from old systems compared to what's new, I think was really interesting. No matter what age bracket was talking about their games, there there's a lot of old games on these lists. I mean, I've got stuff in my top ten that are old. I mean, I've got Super Mario 3 at number 9, and that's from the original Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, I've got several games throughout my, my top 100 that are original Nintendo or um, or Super Nintendo. Um, and, you know, with things like the Virtual Console on Nintendo uh, Switch, you know, you have the ability to go back and play some of these. Um, and they add the ability to pause and rewind, which is almost unfair because these old games are hard. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I know Dark Souls gets the reputation for being hard. It's not Mega Man Two hard. It's just not. Where like, you could, not. you couldn't walk away. You couldn't get away from yeah. the like. Oh, yeah. Um, like like Demon Souls. That's hard. Um, it's not the speeder bike of Battletoads hard. Oh my god, yeah. the speeder of oh, battle it's toads. Also like, it's also yeah. like those games are difficult, like mentally in a way. Old games are like difficult because they programmed them to be <laughs> difficult. Yeah, like a lot of these games, like I, I don't even know why they bothered making a level after the water level of the Ninja Turtles game because like nobody ever saw it. Right. Like, you never got past it. You never got past the water level. What so I don't a, know why they ever bothered making anything else to that game. Remember that one level, too? I forgot what level it was in Turtles, but you would walk, and there was that gap, and it looked like you were supposed to jump because there was a, there was a gap in between the one part, like the one block and the second block. I remember I spent, like hours trying to jump only to find out that you could just walk across the stupid gap <laughs> like I, there's so many stories like that from those old systems because we didn't have youtube to just go right. to to figure this stuff out um maybe a friend of yours knew something about it but you know trying to explain it over the phone if you you know if your parents would let you use the phone um <laughs> 
Yeah, not, well, not as easy. If you were using the phone back then, it took you 10 minutes to dial. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd actually remember your friend's phone number instead right. of just like looking it up in your phone. Right. Or you just got on your bike and were like, well, if they're outside, I'm doing something. Um, yeah so uh rob your favorite council so this was hard for me because the latest and greatest technology is always going to be the best it's always going to give you the most ability the best controllers the best experience um so what i kind of did was i looked at the game, the system that I have the memories of having the most fun with it. Um, and it was close because I've, I mean, I've, I've got an Xbox series X and it's clearly the best console I've ever owned. Um, I don't have a PS five yet. I'll get around to it when, when it's actually available to get. Um, so that's, that's going to be the best console, but in terms of the console that I had the most fun with and have the most memories with, um, it was close between the Super Nintendo and the Xbox 360. Uh, I'm going to give the nod to the 360 just with the amount of time I spent with online gaming um, and how much fun I had in the early days of online console gaming. Uh, so for me, the the answer is the Xbox 360. Nice. Yeah, the, the PS5, they sold 10 million units, and I... I know five people that have it, so I don't know where all yeah. these I don't know where all these units are sold from. But <laughs> yeah, because nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety five of them are sitting with scalpers. Right, exactly. So, uh, Brandon, you are you are up. I kind of went with the same basis as Rob did, because I think the PS Five honestly has a really good chance to be a very very good console down the line especially now that more games are coming out for it. Right. And a bunch of games that are going to be really, really good are coming out later this year. I also wanted to put in the Switch, as honorable mention. Like, that's, like it's coming up to be like one of the best. Honestly, for me, just some of the games and some of the memories of it. But I don't think anything compares to probably the console of my childhood and the Nintendo Wii. Some of the memories, like I said, beating up my brother in boxing, just playing through Mario Galaxy, exploring the worlds, all of it, it, it's really nostalgic. And it, like, the Nintendo Wii was such a good console. And, like, it's basically treated as such nowadays. Yeah, I I think one thing that's, you know, interesting is, Rob, like you said, I, I think your point is just absolutely perfect with yeah the newest console it's the latest and greatest technology graphics certainly even like the controller for like the ps5 um is with the adaptive triggers and the 3d audio uh for the headset that we have is is great it all adds to it but you know right now for the ps5 and xbox a lot of these games aren't okay well this is only like this is only PS5. A lot of them are, oh, well, it can still come out on the PS4. So I, I tend to wait until it's, well, this game can only be produced on the PS5, or this game can only be produced on, Rob, what's the newest Xbox called? Um, well, they have Series X and Series S, which right. is 
like a stupid naming convention because they also have the Xbox One X that in Xbox One S, which confused a lot of people um, and who are like who are buying gifts for people who are not gamers. Right. Um, I actually have a story on that. Uh, that happened in my house, uh, not in my house, but in you know in my family, somebody made a mistake thinking they got the newest one and they got just the upgraded version of the oldest one. <laughs> um, well, well-intentioned person, very loving member of my family. Uh, thought she was doing something really cool, and it was the system we already had <laughs> because they named it the same thing. It's stupid. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in, uh, until those are like exclusive, okay, these games are strictly coming out for this. I, I don't think it would be fair to just say, oh, because it's the latest and greatest. Um, this is where you know what should be number one. But I, I think that was a really good point. But uh, Harrison, you're up. Yeah, this was a, a difficult decision as well because there's a lot that I have memories with. Um, you know, if I were going off the one I've spent the most time in, it would be the Wii U, surprisingly. Um, just because, like I mentioned, of Monster Hunter. Um, but as far as favorite goes, honorable mention to the PSP. I was surprised to see how many times a game that I played on my PSP made it onto this top 100 list. I have some fond memories on that blue PSP of mine. It, for the longest time, probably would have been my favorite system. But uh, my favorite is going to go with the PS3. Just the amount of time my brother and I spent playing games together on the PS3, all the digital exclusives we found messing around. Like when the PlayStation Store uh, had all those free demos, that was like the best thing ever because we could try games for free, you know? <laughs> and it was like, it was a game changer, uh, literally. Uh, and just the fun games they have, you know, like I mentioned, a big part of gaming for me and, and growing up was co-op, couch co-op. And the PS3 had some phenomenal couch co-op games. Uh, there were two or four player that were phenomenal um, that I really, really enjoyed. And um, also just like the time where I probably gamed the most. I was in high school. Uh, you know, I didn't have a job and I didn't have a girlfriend, so it was easy to come home from school and game. You know, I, I don't have that time that I used to. Uh, so there's just a lot of memories that were made with the PS3. Um, additionally, I just remember like the huge upgrade in graphics it was over the PS2. This is going to sound so stupid, but my brother and I we had a PS2 and we had one of the the NBA 2K games. I was like, I think it was like 2K3 or something like that. We got the PS3. And uh, my dad bought us NBA 2K10 or 2K9, maybe. I don't, I don't know what it was. Whatever the year was. And I remember we started it up, and we were looking at it, and we're like, oh, my gosh, these graphics are amazing. They look like real people. And we were, like, freaking out. Like, we, we were like, it's never going to get better than that. These people look real. Like, they look like real humans. And just for the fun of it, I fired it up you know, months and months ago. But I fired it up and was like, wow, the – this looks like eight bit, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was extremely exciting at the time. Yeah, I, I some really good choices. Uh, you know, uh, the Wii was certainly one that I was considering because I do have a lot of good memories with the Wii. Um, I, obviously, I've talked about certain systems that you know had a certain games. But I think for me, ultimately, it does boil down to uh, my favorite system that I have the most, like, the most fond memories of in the games that I played on it was the N64. Uh, definitely had a lot of games that I spent um, probably the majority of my gaming on in terms of how many times I played those games. So for me, the N64 was just, it was so cool. I have so many fond memories of it. 
so that is going to be my my favorite. So quality choice. Uh, I, I'm going to throw one quick off the top of your head. It, it, it's a can you think of it? Answer. Guilty pleasure game that you didn't put on the list. Ooh. Somehow I made this list without including a single Splinter Cell game. That's, uh, yeah. Um, man, that franchise fell hard. Um, yeah. One of those ones that, kind of like you said with uh, with Max Payne, how did we not get, like, how have we not seen another one? Certainly, I think there is talks of another Splinter Cell, but uh, Rob, I think the reason we never got another Max Payne is basically we got, like, it's, you know, uh, it's cousin uh, dead to rights. Yeah, uh, I remember that for uh, the original Xbox, and uh, I enjoyed it uh, a lot, actually, even though it was clear. I mean, the the original Max Payne spawned a lot of clones, uh-huh. um, and Dead to Rights was one of them, and it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, no, the first one was a lot of fun, and then it got really, really bad, but... Uh, Brandon, anything on here that, you know, it, it can be guilty pleasure or something on here that was difficult for you not to put on this list. I would say Doom Eternal, I probably should have put on this list, honestly. Oh. It, was just, it was a fun game just to have fun and shoot around with. Interesting. It also helped that I would, like, get myself in the mood with it. Like, whenever... Whenever the Slayer just had his hands on an alien, and started ripping it. I was like, "Yeah, get him!" I was like, I was like in, like fully in it. So that's probably a game I should have put on there. Hmm. Harrison, any anyone that pops off, uh, you know, in, in your head? Uh man, I'm trying to like think. You you said off the top of my head, so I'm trying to like go through some of my games here, go through some of my list that I didn't include. And I feel like my list was mainly <laughs> guilty pleasures because that's mainly what I played. Um, hold on one second. Let me check. Well, he's looking for that. I'll throw you another one. Battle Clash was a oh. Super Scope 6 game for Super Nintendo that um, was actually a lot of fun. Super Scope 6 had, like I think, six games that came out for it, um, but it was still fun. Uh, my two games, and then Harrison will let you go. Um as a combined effort uh this game called manhunt and the suffering uh both really brutal violent games um you know not something uh certainly things that were (laughs) parents were up in arms about them uh especially the ending to the suffering that that ending was like if you ever played through the whole thing was really messed up um but rob did you ever play those games Manhunt, I did. I don't know that I ever finished it, but the suffering, I definitely did. And and if uh, listeners are wondering what that is, it's not one that, unless you've played it, you probably won't remember it. it takes place in a prison, and um, there's actually like jump scares in the game. Like there's times like the screen will just sort of like bleed over a little bit. Like it's it's terrifying. Like I actually stopped playing that at night for a while. Yeah, it was it, it was two very interesting concepts. Manhunt was done by Rockstar. Um, so super controversial, but, uh, Harrison, did you have anything that just kind of, you know, jumped off the page to you? Um, I did. I'll, I'll give you a, a three. I'm, I tried to narrow it down to three cause it was hard to, 
Uh, but the first is like a guilty pleasure. Definitely one that wouldn't make it on the list, but as a game I'll play anytime. Monkey Ball. I just love those games. Oh, you know, kind of simple, but total blast. Um, had them on almost every single console or, or device that I had. Uh, love Monkey Ball. Um, the two others that that were difficult not to put on the list. The first is the Wonderful 101 on Wii U. I don't know if anyone played that. That yes. game was a blast. Uh, kind of difficult to get down, but once you got it, it was really fun. Um, but the the biggest one that I kept trying to put in the list in some way and I just couldn't. Rayman Legends, uh, super great uh, platformer game. I loved Rayman Legends. It was it was a blast. Really really fun game. Nice, very cool. You know, if you want to talk about guilty pleasures, uh, you know, maybe something you don't necessarily admit. Um, I've put an exorbitant amount of hours on my phone into Clash of Clans for several years now. Oh, there's games on my list of top 100 that I've spent less time playing than Clash of Clans on my phone. Um, I don't spend any money on it. So, but if you're looking for something that's like, you're going to waste five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. um, It's a great way to game for like six minutes and then stop and do something else. Uh, So that I think would definitely qualify as a guilty pleasure for me. Nice. Very cool. Well, would not make my top 100. No, no, no. Right. Um, but, I mean, wow. We we got there, 1 through 100. Uh, I would be remiss. We mentioned this last episode. But this would not be possible without Brandon. So, you know, Brandon, thank you for bringing this up because I had a ton of fun with this. So uh, all credit and kudos go to you for actually making this happen. It's crazy because my list could change in a couple hours. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Whenever I decide to put Elden Ring on there, it's <laughs> already it's it's definitely making top fifteen. So, so, uh, you know, listeners, uh, just thank you, uh, for for being a part of this. Uh, uh, certainly, I mentioned this before, but uh, the first part of these uh, top one hundred video games has been really well received. Uh, part two actually uh, has really started an uptick in uh, in listeners. I was just checking that out today. A lot of people getting into that episode. Part three has been released. Uh, you know, by the time you're listening to this, you know, hopefully we've gotten some more interaction and in given those lists. But um, before Rob because he just does it so well. I have to put him on the spot for it. Uh, Harrison, take another opportunity. Let listeners know, especially for some reason, if you know a, a listener has not cared about any other part of these lists and only wanted to know our top 15, and this is the first ever episode that they're listening to, um, let them know how to hear you and where they can go to do that. Yeah. Thank you for the chance to do that. Also, thanks for having me. This this has been a blast. Um, so yeah, so the Basement Binge, it's a movie review podcast. It has not had an episode released in like three and a half weeks. I've been searching for a job, which takes a significant <laughs> amount of time, believe it or not. Uh, you know, and and today I was gonna get those episodes released that will finish out animation season, and it was I was not able to because I was actually at training for a job. So I have a job now, which is great. So now I can actually produce some episodes. Um, so yeah, Animation Hall of Fave 2 was a blast. It was supposed to go during January and February, and then the second half of February was a total train wreck. So those episodes will be coming out the first part of March. 
um, Treasure Planet, How to Train Your Dragon trilogy that Matt and Rob joined me for, uh, the Mitchells versus the Machi- Machines, Silent Voice, in addition to all the other episodes that are currently released, like the Kung Fu Panda trilogy, all that. Additionally, if there's just series or franchises that you like binging, that's what I do at the Basement Binge. So there's a great list of episodes already. Additionally, a lot more to come this year. Uh, the likes of Transformers, potentially Star Wars I'm thinking about this year. So lots of exciting things. You can get the Basement Binge wherever you get podcasts. So thank you again, Matt, for that chance to say that and also for having me. This has been a blast. Yeah, yeah, it, it certainly has. Um Glad you guys were able to be a part of this. So, Rob, take us home. Uh, how would a listener get in contact with this show? You know, it is so easy to get in contact with the show. It's almost it's almost like we want you to contact the yes. show. It's weird. <laughs> like, if you didn't know any better, you'd almost think we want to hear from the listeners. So, there are a myriad of ways. How about that for a word, myriad? There's a myriad of ways you can contact the show. Uh, there's not a preferred method because it's preferred that you contact the show as opposed to not. So you can email mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. It's the initials of Matt Goes to the Movies, podcast at gmail.com. You can also find the show on TikTok where Matt posts highlights. Uh, You can share those. You can comment on those. Uh, You can also do the same on Instagram and Facebook. There is a Facebook group. Um, Great conversations happen on there from time to time. this one, I think, is really ripe for listener feedback. Uh, send us your list. What did we miss? You know, not a single one of us mentioned uh, uh, Warcraft, which I thought for sure somebody would have. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought for sure somebody would have World of Warcraft on there. And and it's, you know, none of us, I guess, are big enough PC gamers to have included it. So I know that's like a major one. There's probably somebody out there screaming, how did that not get included? Uh, where would that rank for you? So make sure you tell us. Uh, do you have fond memories of Goldeneye like I do? What was your favorite level? Um, share any of that. We would like to just uh, keep the conversation going, and uh, maybe we'll answer uh, listener feedback uh, on future episodes of the show or on the social media. We'd love to continue the conversation there. So uh, please uh, take a moment, do so. And while you're at it, while you're at it, head over to podchaser.com because that is where you can leave a review for this very show that is blasting into your earballs as we speak. You can leave a five-star review if you'd like, or just an honest review is also preferred uh, on this very show or the show as a whole. You can do that for both Matt Goes to the Movies and The Basement Binge. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. Brandon, Rob, Harrison, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you to the listeners who... um, you know, are probably listening to this episode right now as I'm saying thank you before this gets posted. So we will be back very soon by the time you're listening to this with, you know, more reviews at Matt Goes to the Movies. Certainly the Batman will be on there. Um, you know, looking forward to probably doing the Jurassic World series. Uh, also, some user requests to do some quick recaps of the Fast and the Furious movies. So I will be doing that. Um, yep, couple of couple of quick reviews of the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, something that we did with Harrison on the Basement Binge. So if you want more extended thoughts on those movies, go over to the Basement Binge and check us out and check out Harrison's show. But again, listeners, thank you so much for being a part of this. And until next time, thanks for tuning in to Mac Goes to the Movies.